My name is Danny, and I play in a band called Output 111. Cold Waves of Comfort was the name of an album that I had worked on for the past three or four years.
All right. Um, Robin, I listened back to your appearance on and introducing. Oh, um, sick. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually going to be the next guests. Oh, they're uh, so cool. Yeah. Molly's been really helpful with like how laid out, like how to do the show. She's been really, really wonderful. So I'm excited for that. But I wanted to ask you about this point that you had early on about, um, I mean, this was last year, I think, when you were talking and you mentioned how music scenes were adjusting or dying as a result of the pandemic mm-hmm. and shifting into like an online subculture or an online subculture was developing as a result. I'm pretty sure I would have the same train of thought about it now. Yeah. So. I think it resonated with me at that point because I found your music through your um, through your appearance on the blowback soundtrack. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was a that was a gorgeous song. By the way, I actually just um, listened to it while I was getting set up. Oh, thanks. That was yeah. And you guys are Toronto based too. Yeah. Nice. See, that's yeah. That's maybe sort of what I was talking about. Like it. I've had more success in the Canadian scene from people hearing about me through reaching out to Americans. You know. How have you gotten connected with the Americans? <laughs> the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> uh what happened so i guess in 20 2018 i started listening to chapo trap house and then uh met brace from true and on through the blink 155 podcast like a blink 182 podcast that um josiah and sam sutherland do Mm -hmm. um and through those guys i met noah last summer um and was he was like my internet friend and then uh i guess in december they they him and brendan reached out to me and said we're doing this next season of blowback and do you want to contribute some music to it so that was amazing i mean i think that they knew how like how much i really wanted to get composing experience so that that's been it was really fun we worked on a couple songs but I learned that I'm not very good at like exporting stems and files from logic without like clicking, like just stuff that if I'd gone to recording school, maybe I would have learned, but uh, we ended up using one of the tracks. So I'm grateful for that either way. Were you doing vocals on that track? Oh no, just synthesizers. Like uh, it would be basically, Brandon would send me uh, like one section of the song and then I would add like, you know those like drawings where one person draws the top of a monster and then you fold the piece of paper and the next person like what yeah. I, whatever that's called but that's sort of how we wrote the songs that we did together like we would just send each other different things and then like oh why don't you add like this synth overarching all of it and actually it was the most productive and fastest form of songwriting I've ever done is like a collaboration because usually it's really like ego central but uh brennan's really like methodical and um i don't know saying yes to everyone it's like a it was like having a good improv duo or something like that nice. supporting your teammates with your new record coming out that's your fifth one in three years yeah i mean i don't know maybe it's like quantity over quality but some of it i like for sure when i uh reached out to you i was i had noise on heavy rotation Really? Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, record rocks, especially um, Heatstroke. Thank you. 
Heat stroke is the jam. Yeah. Thanks. The one with Thalia, right? Uh, oh, that's a hive mind. No, uh, that was, that track is. She's so cool. <laughs> that was so cool that she uh, played on that. <laughs> well, both of those back to back, I think I'm remembering because I just had it also on rotation Thank you. for a couple of days leading up. And uh, yeah, both of those tracks back to back, obviously big one two punch. Uh, the one with Aaliyah, the uh, big Kate Bush vibes and just like crazy unexpected how much it goes oh with, you know thank like you. actually reaching those levels like, thanks really digging i've been trying to put together a set list for this upcoming show and i forgot about that song so i'm gonna put that on it nice <laughs> oh wow yeah. so that must mean you got heaters on top of heaters not to, not to really make <laughs> i'm in the you know when you do like an essay for school and you like increase the like word space but or like the space between words so your essay looks longer oh no that's what i'm doing right wow, now that, that's a classic move yeah with like adding a minute classic of move. just like drum stuff to songs so that i can just like do noise things <laughs> and that'll take up time yeah, that way you don't need to talk to the audience at all totally yeah i'm i love doing banter but i want to try not doing it <laughs> i don't think i've like when I've done my own small sets, I haven't done banter in a while. And the only time I've done it is when like the audience was primarily friends. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think I'm rambling right now, but it just felt a lot more fun and energetic to just keep going from song to song, even if it was making um, Vic play a really hard drum line for an extended several beats while I tune my guitar or like just a ah, snow nice. I understand uh, Tonto is made because you had the residency. Yep. Uh, I was working on some kind of like weird headspace, like 80s pop stuff uh, with Alaska from Yamantaka Sonic Titan um, at the start of January. And then, and that's sort of what I was planning to release, uh, I don't know, at some point this year. And then I found out about the Tonto thing the start of February. Um, so put that on the back burner and then uh, wrote all of those pieces pretty quickly. And then uh, right now I'm working on finishing up these other songs. So that'll be what I play in my set in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, the Tonto stuff was really like first thought, best thought, uh, hoping I get a record finish, but mostly wanting to like get a crash course in modular synthesis the way that you'd get like, you know how they tell you if you want to learn a language, like go to the country where they speak the language. Otherwise, you, you're not going to learn it properly. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that was my primary goal with uh, modular synths because I can watch so many YouTube videos and like read descriptions and it doesn't do like <laughs> it doesn't register. But like when I'm in the studio recording and it keeps messing up and I'm like, what, why is that not working? And someone says, Oh, cause your VCA is open. It's like, Oh, that's what that, that is <laughs> I get it now. Like, <laughs> uh, but mostly I just wanted to make like weird sounding quartets. It, there's not really a unified sound to the album. It more is just a bunch of different genres that all have this synthesizer. So I'm hoping that creates like kind of a cohesive whole, but it, uh, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> I mean, the stuff you've put out so far sounds wicked. And I think, what, do you have a couple of guys from Bad, Bad, Not Good in it as well? or? Um, Leland played sax on the first single, the mm -hmm. sax player. And then actually his brother, Lowell Witty, who's like a 
uh, killer jazz drummer, um, played on the song that's coming out next week uh, called Inspector. And it, uh, but those are the only like bad, bad, not good adjacent okay. <laughs> people. But yeah, no, it looks it looks fucking dope. I think you kind of touched on what was going to be my next question. How the hell do you replicate any of that for uh, for a live set? Yeah, I mean, I was running MIDI into Tonto. Like, it none of the keyboards originally associated with it are functioning. So it was just four separate channels. So I think I initially thought I can uh, just run MIDI from my computer into four different synths. But I think that likely I'll just take one or two of the songs and... In MIDI, you can like print this sheet music. So I'll just like make an arrangement of it that's not for four voices that I can like approximately play with two hands um, and just go from there. <laughs> but yeah, I'd need like a, a live band to play those songs live. I could do like Brazil with a keyboard line, um, but I'd need a drummer and I don't have that money yet. So because I don't like not being able to pay musicians and even though I have friends who would do it, you know? And you've got fairly deep roots in this, like in, at least in Toronto scene, right? Like you played in Dwayne Gretzky. Um... Oh yeah. And people owe me favors too, but like, I don't, you know, yeah. you don't want to use the favors yet. I just do it. It's a good plan. So it's more of a, what we can expect. It's like kind of like a solo keyword situation. Will you be singing too? No, it's all instrumental. This is this record. All right. So this is straight up kind of like a showcase for Tonto. Yep. Yep. Stripped down for live. Oh, but for live, I will be singing like most of the songs. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. That's what I mean. The the uh, the October 21st show. Mm -hmm. Which is my cool. first sort of getting back to your point about learning about me through blowback. Like I got asked to headline this show and I'm like, I've never played a synth set uh, wow. live before. So uh, we'll see. But I have like... You know, I play so many shows, so it'll be fine. I mean, you're the second person on our show who's going to be playing that that uh, set. Like, yeah, Aaron's music is so sick. I'm yeah really excited to see it. Uh, my partner and I are going to this as well. It'll be the first, like, not like just in a way that I'm like really excited for. It's gonna be the first live music show that we uh, we get to see. I think the last thing we saw was um, uh, the Frequency Fest. Oh, you went to that? I didn't go to that. Oh, no, but the, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> Nice, nice. Um, but this will be a, this will be like an awesome chance to, uh, you know, see you. I haven't seen uh, Luke Rakuta. Um, oh, nice. Either. I uh, I did my Banff residency with her in 2018. Have you heard oh, yeah. about those? I heard. Yeah, that that's is that where Tonto the the thing the big machine is located. Now? It's in uh, Calgary, so it's like two hours away, but. Uh, it's funny I was I dm'd Laura from Luke Recruta today to like ask about her set and my previous dm to her was me asking if she wanted to go see Tonto like uh before I had originally seen it so uh yeah she's awesome those kind of residency setups are really good for um getting those unfinished ideas completed because you have it's almost like an unconditional love environment. Like you play weird stuff for people and everyone's like, that's awesome. Like keep going and just having, 
especially in Toronto, I find you don't have a lot of people uh, giving positive feedback like that. Like they give no feedback or like vaguely critical feedback and it's like i don't know yeah you know. yeah that was tight that was nice yeah and you're like did you mean that like <laughs> how did you feel about your set yeah yeah totally so um it's it's cool to you know come full circle and play with laura again for this show i'm stoked about that that's that's exciting did she give you any hints on what she's playing she's not going to be there so she's got two uh visual artists who are doing like uh, visuals during her set which and she's like projecting in or streaming in but that's making me oh go, shit yeah yeah she i saw the post where she's like astral projecting from and totally I'm like okay sure but th that that was for i know fun. totally that's i read <laughs> that's it and was like i was like are there gonna be people doing visuals and now i'm like i'm going after her like do i need to get like visuals happening because i uh don't know how I think I've got something figured out, but uh, I can't figure out. I think it's going to be like three, three like really great examples of just like essentially solo performers from really different perspectives. I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think there's lots of lots of room in general. It's just going to be great. Thanks. Yeah, I think no matter what, it'll be fun. I I have to stop looking at it from like a like competitive uh spirit and i because i know laura from this bamf thing i it'll be easier whereas uh i don't know it's taken me a while to be like who else is playing am i better than you know it doesn't matter but it's hard yeah, yeah. and and especially after the like the starvation period that we've all been through in general with no shows more or less or no in-person shows and just being on a bill with others there was always the so the weird, the weird, you know, creeping feeling behind everything is like, you know, how do I stand out? Do I have to juxtapose myself? How will this, how will this be received as a whole? Yeah. Which is really bullshit a lot of the time, even when you are, you know, the curator or whatever. Totally. And it, my main concern is just not train wrecking. Like, I think I want to try and just, instead of focusing about being having the best set like having a set that where I don't get so nervous that I can't play like the you know I want to just be able to get through the set <laughs> which is something you've talked about right not to like uh not to dig in on these no, anxieties you sometimes have but you talked about stage fright as a like a consistent thing in your career yeah right or nervousness before a show and uh does this uh does this kind of i remember actually i read an interview oh no <laughs> every episode this happens he was just getting to the to the meat of the oh he's back you're back oh shit where did it cut off uh you were you just started asking about anxiety and uh that I'd spoken previously about stage fright. Yes. I, so in an old, like 2013 era interview with Dwayne Gretzky, I think it was Ali actually making the point that this was like a Fleetwood Mac cover set and that, you know, she's always nervous performing solo stuff, but, you know, doing other people's songs, no problem. 
-hmm. no issue at all and i'm wondering this is how you feel like you know performing i'm sure like huge venues with our lady peace and other touring stuff that you did or is just like you know every show no matter what oh no like the our lady peace stuff i wouldn't even really be lit up on stage like it I get way more nervous if it's people that I know in real life who are watching the set, especially if it's like, if you have any sort of weird beef or personal history with anyone, you think like, oh, if I make a mistake that like, you know, feeds their, oh, shit. that I'm like, they will never let you forget. It. Yeah. And then uh, thinking like, oh, well, I'm going to like shred even more and then like trying even harder on stage. Like it, having most of my friends online now, like I've, I've, uh, had to step back from a lot of friend groups where I was like desperate and a try hard and like really overdid it with trying to fit in with people and it, to the point where it like repels them. Um, and I resent when not necessarily resent, but like when you have to see those people in person and like you want to move past that, but you feel like you still have this like reputation as being kind of a loser, like it, uh, it's hard to then get up on stage and be like, I'm this rock star. Like I, I will inevitably always like revert to uh, not being able to play very well. If I have that like toxic headspace of just oh, like, fuck. everyone thinks I suck you. Um, even though they're in the audience, it's like, no, they don't. <laughs> That's, that is, that is pretty funny though. The like, what is it like a Wayne's world Bill and Ted idea of shred your reputation away? Yeah, exactly. Shred the beef away. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. It is pervasive. It like, you know, you go in, you go on stage and you're like, I'm gonna put this all and I'm gonna put all my personal shit in this and then it's gonna be transformed. Mm -hmm. But if I go to any other city, it's not like that. Like I can, it's a lot easier to believe the like stage persona when you're not confronted by people who know you in real life. Um, Allie's done, like got really masterful at that. I think she's, she was a good, uh, she always keeps my competitive spirit in check because she's fucking... Have you listened to her new album, Cape God? Yeah. Yeah, more. Okay. And I'm like, I've been following kind of just like the stuff, you know, from the sort of like local cabaret stuff to she just transformed herself. Oh, man. Into this yeah. persona. And I remember like, I don't know, like Petty, you know, when she started wearing all the different types of glasses, I was initially and we were in the band together and i even messaged her like i have to unfollow you because i'm so jealous i can't handle this and like thinking like oh <laughs> really yeah yeah oh big time like wow it just uh and probably burned that friendship bridge in a lot of ways but uh because like when you women are pitted against each other it's like it's like that across the board where it's a lot harder for women to be supportive of each other than it is uh for women to support men i think in some ways like it uh because there's so few opportunities still for for women although it is changing now um but this would have been what 20 2013 2014 exactly there's like those few spotlights that need to be filled and yeah exactly and it, and it was like what can i do uh when my bandmate is this like coloratura prodigy soprano like unbelievable performer um, in that case, I'd always be like, well, I, I should just, you know, quit or whatever. But it's like, even if what I want to do is exactly the same as what Ali's doing, uh, I wouldn't be able to do it in the way that she, I don't know. 
I, I found my like niche, I think, that's a bit different from what she's doing. So found your own shade. Yeah, and it's given me new respect for the fact that she can uh perform the way that she does. I don't know. Like in a theatrical way, which is a lot more difficult, I think, than it seems. It must be, yeah. That's dope though. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I don't know. I think she's cool. I DM'd her the other week and she wrote back like, thanks Robin or something. I'm like, oh man, I can't believe I know you now. She's so famous now. Well, I want to... Oh, sorry, Vic. Go ahead. Nope, he's gone again. Ah, oh, damn. Um, all right. Well, uh, I was actually going to bring it back to one of the earlier questions because I think each of your records has been remarkably different. Mm -hmm. And is that, you know, is that just from... Um, just a sense of self-exploration or necessity? Mm, I think, so I got sober and then I was in like a, this would have been the start of 2018. Yeah, and I got, um, I couldn't find any musical work um, and was doing like event set up at the convention center and okay, yeah. uh, was about to sign up for coding school. Basically, I had like, my therapist was like, why don't you apply for a BAMF Center residency? And I had two uh, voice memos on my iPhone that were just like me angrily sitting at the piano, like right after I got sober and just like hitting record. Um, and I applied basically to like a appease my therapist and was like, phoned in my application so much and they accepted me the day that I was about to sign up for coding school, which I probably should have done instead, uh, be making a lot more money. And uh, so I knew that was going to be a piano album. And based on the response from that, uh, I basically settled like a, a legal dispute the following year that I can't, I wish I could talk more about, but I can't really. And then from there, I just thought I want to put this into two more records uh like a synth album and a piano another piano album that somebody else records um because I wanted to get into composing and thought that somebody who wants to like put sync placements of piano and stuff are would be more likely to pick something that got recorded professionally rather than something I did in my studio um so th that was the behind the second piano album they got the Guardian review, which was nuts because I was sending out all my own press releases and I think which sucks and is embarrassing and like nobody ever takes it seriously when you're a journalist and you get a press release like check out my band. It's like um, even though it's a catch 22, right? Because if you're if you don't have a label, you won't get a manager, you won't get the booking agent unless you have the label and like and, and so on. Um, but. Yeah, that was a complete fluke. Um, and then the synth record was my buddy Liam uh, has a bunch of production equipment in his house. And uh, his parents used to be in this, like, basically the Canadian um, Tangerine Dream called the Canadian Electronic Ensemble. Um, and they have the second Jupiter 8 that was ever made. Um, and it's just been his synth since he was, like, six years old. And so he knows it, like, the ins and outs of it, like, crazy. Um so I brought my profit over to his place and we just did two days of straight recording, just improv stuff. And then just like chopped up the sections I liked the most. And that was the synth album. So I don't know. All of this has been sort of with the intention of 
uh, trying to break into composing for film and TV, but it's still pretty tricky doing that in Toronto. So um, the next album was like, maybe I'll try to make what I consider to be like pop songs you could play in, put as sync placements in, in TV shows or something like that, and then fill in the rest of it with more improv synth stuff. Um, and none of it's licensed anyway. It just, I think it's kind of pathetic that in the back of my head, I'm always like, somebody will eventually give me a bunch of money for this, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. So I think I've gotten the most good feedback off piano records and I need to like keep practicing that. That's another thing is I, I was avoiding getting better at piano last year with the noise record, um, which was one of the reasons I put that out. Cause I was like, you know what, maybe I don't even want to play piano because I have oppositional defiant disorder. <laughs> oh, that's very relatable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming up, but it, but it's funny because you seem to kind of have, uh, you know, considering that that seems like this whole other period that, of your life from where you're at, this like, you know, extremely prolific 2019, you dropped those three records. Um, the works for solo piano, some of those songs you still, I guess, perform, or at least they were in that multi-location yeah. uh, episode that you did. The ones that have videos for them, which are some of my favorites, actually. I really like The Serpent. Oh, thank you. That, and it's it's fun to see that one keep popping up. So you have some kind of attachment still to those, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Like the last show I did before covid was uh like long winter i did a piano set and then i did a piano set at um opening for velour they did a cd release um mm -hmm. and that's i guess it's if you have that too you have versatility for if people want to book you for different shows um so that was another motivator oh i also like i spoke with a booking agent last year because spencer from wolf parade is someone who um does his own solo piano music as well. And I was kind of reaching out, like, how do you get shows booked? Um, who hooks this up? And he kind of said, um, like, my booking agent books the shows, but I don't necessarily want to have other pianos, solo piano players opening for me or, or tour with other just piano acts. So that was an incentive to be like, maybe I'll have different stuff in case anybody wants me to open for them for any reason. Like, I, I don't know. It's... I know it's like, don't be a jack of all trades, but I, it's all desperation, I think. <laughs> it's all, I, you know what? I think this is like com as honest as it gets and also just completely like relatable and understandable to like whether you're making records with the intention, you know, like maybe this will get a sync. And mm -hmm. in like, also in other genres, I feel like this is a lot more normalized and just understood. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then kind of the some of these like independent local scenes where I guess we're working or, you know, there's the idea that that's lame or whatever. No, Not, I know. Like, that's just the reality. And uh, yeah, whether it be that or the jack of all trades thing, which I also think, you know, everybody should mm -hmm. <laughs> fit themselves in every corner they can find. Yeah, totally. You never yeah. you never know which thing is going to hit with somebody I guess. Yeah, I mean, if it's honest to you, go for it. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about it. Uh, I also wanted to ask about 
going back again to that piano record is how did that Michael DeForge artwork come about? Oh man, he was in um, my first year English class and in my like res dorms at U of T, we like all knew who he was because he, he was already doing show posters and had comics by then. So um, I've always thought he was super badass and just um, at that point, I think I thought this will be the only music I ever produce. So I wanted the artwork to be really awesome so I, I asked him because I've known him sort of tangentially through the the music creative scene in Toronto mm. um, and he sent me three ideas the second of which is the back cover that was like the single artwork for Nocturne and then the front cover um, which is the the main works for solo piano art which is so like it's, he's so good <laughs> it's it's yeah it really that was the only music you put out and it just had you know, he's really not like skimping on his work there with that one. It's a good, that's a good painting or piece yeah. of drawing. If you flip it on the side, it's like a face, which I didn't even notice until like last year. But I think it looks like a piano. They're all faces. Yeah. It's is secretly. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking also how much like, you know, just local Toronto iconography, if you could put it that way, is just like, somewhat present through all your stuff like that and the cover of noise is like you know without having something like the cn tower or i don't know like the back of the bovine on it like just that you in front of the uh the smokestack yeah yeah down at the docks with the yeah with the ellis dawn fucking mm -hmm. you know what are those you know just the logo there it's just like yeah puts you in a place yeah even before you get to the song titles and the some of the song titles you had before like the song named after the city and also oblivion yeah that's like a video drum but it's yeah, also uh, like a zappa reference which i think must have been where cronenberg got the name from because that's a, a song on uh, apostrophe is father oblivion like with the apostrophe so I always thought that was, I don't know. You get dunked on a lot for being a Zappa fan, depending on who you know, you know? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I I thought it was cool that Cronenberg like gets, uh, or like Zappa. And I also think that, that that exact spot in Toronto when you're down at the docks really feels like a Cronenberg movie in a way that I've never experienced in any other, like maybe it's the pressure of the air. It just... Do you know what I'm talking about? It feels kind of depressing, but I, oh, oh, like, I do know uh, what you. There's, there's hella pockets around the city where it's like you can, you know, make your own Cronenberg movie in your head. Totally, as you're walking. Yeah, even like, you know, King Street, where there's that building, like just around Young Street, where there's that building, and it kind of splits off right by the Esplanade of like, and there's that building that's like really thin. <laughs> I think, I think so. I, I feel that when I go the one by where there like the well. roads go around it. Yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. It's like a big red building that looks like Inception. <laughs> like there's got to be a secret lab in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I also I feel like you get dunked on in some circles I ran with uh, for being like really Toronto about your really Toronto oh. project. <laughs> like yeah, liking Drake and yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, or or no, no, just like or just you know naming shit after just like neighborhoods mm -hmm. you that are essentially your whole life, like you know if you live there or stuff like that. But I feel like when it's like you know woven into track titles, just like little references, little 
it becomes these like little place marks of like memory or just like you know emotional states like the the, the weird air in that you know in that harbor front area kind of draws you in puts you into these little worlds that's interesting i have thought the same thing about toronto and something where if somebody let's say is writing a song for a sync placement where they sing like i don't know in songwriting books it tells you like talk about it, the name of a street where you grew up and if you try to do that for toronto like there i was on spadina or like going up the bathroom like uh but if somebody did that and they were from Boston and I heard their song, I wouldn't think about it at all. And I don't think anyone listening to that song in Boston would, would care. Like, oh, this, they are mentioning a street from here. But like in Toronto, for some reason, it's so uh, horrible when somebody does that. <laughs> I've heard it successfully uh, done in um, a cold spec song. Oh, I no, do know the one you're talking about where she lists the subway great. station. Yeah, that was that was the one like successful nostalgic Toronto moment I've had in a song. Yeah, it somebody had a tweet. This isn't the, the same, but there's a well, okay, there's a Spoons video from the 80s called Romantic Traffic and they all have uh like 80s new wave hair and it's all set on the TTC. It's a really good music video, but it's one of the shots is someone with new wave hair like looking out over the DVP bridge. Um and someone tweeted before the pandemic, like, I want to be your text between uh, Castle Frank and Broadview. Like those, <laughs> those 20 seconds when you get service or something like that. That's beautiful. That's actually, yeah. Yeah, totally. But it, yeah, it was beautiful. And it was one of the first times I was like, okay, not everyone has the same like generally bad attitude um, towards this as me. Because it... Uh, it's cool to talk about your city in that way. I think if you can own it. If you can, yeah. Or, you know, for a lot of people, it's just like the feeling that we're stuck here and we're tired of this shit, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then you get, yeah. When someone I, when someone like, who's one of my peers does a Cronenberg reference, I'm always like, oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> a really man? Like, so I, I could get if somebody did that to me, but it, uh, if, at the same time, I played in this band called Rural Alberta Advantage, who have a lot of songs about Alberta. The, the city, the songs are named after Alberta City. Uh, and when they play in Alberta, people go fucking nuts. And it's so strange. And they know all the words. Like if, if I had a song called Ontario about the, you know, this place, it wouldn't be like that. Like, I don't think no, anyone's ever going to come nuts. The shine. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if I'm like, I can own the cringiness of it. Like, no one's ever going to freak out in Ontario the way that they in Alberta they freak out over the Alberta band. So, no. but you know, it just goes to show, I guess. When you guys see it in um, like movies or television, does it take you out of the experience? Like when you see a Toronto landmark, especially in like American productions, not not necessarily Cronenberg because he, he uses like brutalism so well that it fits into that unnerving weirdness but like um i used to work at um at royal york and that was featured a lot in hannibal and the handmaid's tale oh yeah yeah you would see like the the handmaids walk out to be displayed for like a bidding war or something and it was in 
but it's in the ballroom of the Royal York. And I was like looking around, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's my place of business. And then there's a scene where they go to a brothel and it's just the whole lobby of, of the hotel. And they they go through like an underground, like back alley, which I took to get to my locker. And then I would walk through this sub basement that they were filming in as part of this secret entrance to a brothel. And I'd be like, I know what that hallway smells like. I'm completely removed from the- That's interesting. I wonder, I haven't had that exact experience. That's really cool. Um, the I, I was in LA for two weeks earlier this summer and came out of it missing how Toronto people are with, with regards to sort of what you're describing. Like the, it's weird when you see Toronto featured in, in media and like maybe people who work on Toronto projects like that take it too seriously. And I, you know, I always think it's so annoying when people when like Toronto filmmakers who get into TIFF act as though they're the same as the big Hollywood features that are featured at TIFF. Um, but I, as soon as you meet film industry people in California, it's like, give me Canada any day over this. Like I, I hate like people who are really full of themselves. Like it, what's nice about Canada is we have this like self-consciousness that they don't have in, in Hollywood. I experienced the exact opposite when I served on people at the hot dogs. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you worked at hot dogs? I worked there for five years. <laughs> no, I worked at U of T um, when they when they would do an annual hot dogs event for like producers and stuff. At um, Where'd, where'd you work? Hard house. Oh, nice. I worked at the Bader for like eight years. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could get that job back. It was fucking sick. I made so much money doing nothing. Yeah, I <laughs> from and it was great uh, yeah you heard it here folks yeah I don't worry. I'm just gonna bleep stuff you know <laughs> um yeah no the the producers at hot dogs would just like run up to each other like a plate full of like you know finger food and like a little coffee and be like guys we are making art mm. <laughs> <laughs> Aww, that's sweet. I know who probably said that <laughs> <laughs> Robin uh you said you were able to to hear the track of what are your yeah. thoughts um i liked it i thought it was great i think my my questions were how do you for a song that length how do you structure it is it you add one part at a time like what's do you think of it as a narrative uh I, a lot of it tends to be stream of consciousness like the song itself is that that very sad vocal piano part mm -hmm. so that was the song i used as a focal point and I think I like I have started thinking about episodes and how I do it because so there are a few episodes that we've done where I've put the focal point song at the end and built up into it. And I thought that started to get a little predictable. Mm -hmm. So in, um, in this case, there was a song, uh, there was that song. There's a song that me, Vic and our bandmate Gene are working on now that's in there. Um, that's the more aggressive and loud one that is then chopped up and reversed on itself because it's not finished. And, that sort of um, weirdness worked for me. But on in front of the song, or around the song, The Raft is this piano piece that was recorded on my, um, on my apartment size upright using like a, a, a 58 mic and really ramping up overdrive and gain just to, because I didn't have a good preamp. Mm -hmm. And that was the song that I actually wrote the raft out of there were like i was just playing around and I'm, I'm not very strong of a piano player so i was just figuring out what sounded good and what i liked and 
recorded two or three ideas on top of each other, mixed them out, reversed some ideas, um, and then had this piece called Nonsense that I think at one point I actually heard what sounded like um, the chord structure for the chorus of the raft, like the float part. Mm -hmm. So that was probably the closest I've come to a narrative on it. The other parts was, I think I was thinking about was going through Stem's unfinished song ideas that I had that were piano focused or piano based. Like, like you were saying before of trying to learn an instrument by diving into it. Mm -hmm. Other than that sort of sandwiching of the raft and the song that kind of, for lack of a better term, birthed it. I didn't really have like an actual narrative so much as I'm going to borrow from Molly, but she uh, she described it as just kind of abstract and vibey, like what to me as uh, the listener made sense going through. I think it, it varies from song to song, and uh, if if we have um, if we have somebody coming on who's also like jumping in, I wish I had had more time because I would have loved to, like especially now hanging out, like it would be great to work on something like that. I uh, um, I would love that. I to be I think I said this, but because I don't know you very well, I felt really bashful about saying, "Hey, come on my show and hey, give me some free music that I can use for the show." No, that's don't don't worry about that. <laughs> that that's awesome and it doesn't take that much work for me to do. Well, cool. I might I might hit hit you up for either one of the next few episodes of this season or cuz that would that would be amazing. I love that. Sure. In general, for finishing unfinished things, uh, I had a, like an old friend who emailed Greg Sonier from Deerhoof once, like back when their website would just have their email addresses on it, yeah. um, to ask him how he writes. And he said that the best way for him to write is to listen to three bands you've never listened to before and just like, clog your brain with weird ideas that you've never heard and that your brain will figure out like new pathways that will write new stuff it's a good yeah yeah that's as good as any i like that it works it doesn't work all the time but it works like sometimes because it i don't know like i just realized in the car last night that i've i've been trying to figure out how this one Tonto song ends. And I'm like, I know it's ripping something off. Like, what? what is it? I have to believe it's not something brutal. And it's the end of Shine by Collective Soul. It's like, <laughs> the, like, like the 4-4 outro, like, before, oh my God. And I heard it on the radio last night. It was like, fuck. Of course. So like, nobody's going to figure, no one's going to figure that out. <laughs> oh man, we had something like that the other day. Yeah, I think a part I wrote, just a little, little bit of, a little bit too Duran Duran. See that? I'd be, that's awesome. And I would have even been fine with it being meatloaf or Todd Rundgren. But yeah, the shine, shine, shine part <laughs> of uh, the Collective Soul outro. <laughs> it's not even a value judgment. It's more like this might get us sued if we tried to pass this off of their own. Oh. And I wouldn't even know it because I don't know what song this is, but it's definitely a real existing thing it's funny didn't didn't uh, nick from islands just have that happen oh, to him he had it well two ways it uh there's a new tv show that completely rips off the serial theme song that he wrote um and he complained about it on twitter and uh ariana grande no selena gomez stands like came for him to be like you're shit you're nobody 
doesn't matter. Nobody knows who you are. Oh, fuck. Uh, and I didn't hear uh, about that. Yeah, yeah, but unfortunately for him, he also had that. Uh, I just finished tour with Nick, so I've spent a lot of time with him, and I totally believe that he just accidentally thought the demo he was working on was his own song in this, like, how did I come up with this wonderful, you know, Oh, song? it's only too easy. Yeah, no, it, hap it must happen, like, it's wild that it doesn't happen more often is what I've thought yeah. reading that. And it's interesting that the song ends in a different way that, and that's like the, the proof that it, uh, that's true. I think is that halfway through the song, it's a different ending, but no, I, I don't believe there was, there was malicious intent there. But I was it, reading. It's actually just a scary thing to think about just how like it can happen to you. You know what I think is, uh, since you've been gone, we were listening to that in the van or what it was on the radio. <laughs> we didn't have an aux cable for this one portion. And there's that section in the middle where it's the same breakdown as Maps by Yeah, Yeah, Yes. And, but since you've been gone is by like Max Martin or Dr. Luke or something. And he was just Max Martin. To... Yeah, no, yeah. keep Dr. Luke out of this. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> still, still bang with Max. It's true. I know. God, God, hope he's got. You know, anyway, uh, Max Martin was able to just say, no, I didn't rip that off, which is so blatantly like exactly the same. I think they did say they used they they were like, I think Kelly actually heard maps. Oh, the days where you were like, man, have you, have you heard this new indie band? Yeah, yeah, yes. Y'all, they're crazy. And <laughs> she's just like, this is the best thing. And she just like, I think, brought it to them and straight up asked them if they could do something like that for her. So I think any denial they have on their part now is kind of moot because they straight that was the reference track. But it, I think it is far enough. I don't know. It doesn't. I never actually understood those comparisons all that much. I know that after Sam Smith won the Grammy for the song that's just won't back down, then he had to pay royalties. But at that point, you've already got a Grammy, so isn't it like? Is it? I don't know. Is that the one that sounds like Tom Petty? Yeah. Uh, won't you stay with me because you're all I need like no I won't back down no I won't back down uh, yeah he got a Grammy and then wrote the the Bond song afterwards and it 10 years ago I would have been like well he sold out in the first place by trying to write music that would have got him a Grammy but now I'm like what I wouldn't give for like <laughs> to be able to move out of my parents house <laughs> No, the only the only real like uh like is everybody on crazy pills, but probably not because not no not enough people heard the original was uh, a recent weekend song that was everywhere. Heartless. Oh. Heartless. Do you know how that has the same melody as a Blood Orange song? Oh no. From one of his recent mixtapes. I think it was Dark and Handsome with Tori Moi. And yeah, I'm just putting it out there because I've been telling to anybody who would listen, it's yeah. a rip. Come at me, Abel. No, I think it's, I mean, the flashing lights or whatever, blinding lights is blinding lights. Is Young Turks by Rod Stewart and it's uh, Take On Me by AHA. But it does a really good job of not sounding enough like either of them that he could get canceled for it. Also, how old are you guys? Are you guys in your 30s as well? I'm 33. Yeah, same. I am not there. <laughs> okay, well... Um, I was just on tour and the A&R guy is like 22 and I was playing Deer Hunter, like like a 2008 Deer Hunter song in, in the van 
and he had never heard it or heard the band. And it was like, oh, there's a whole generation of kids who are completely unfamiliar. Like now mm -hmm. is the time to rip off yeah, yeah, yeah's <laughs> yeah. like, pitchfork early indie stuff because like the people who are going to book you have never heard it in their lives. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that doesn't work for like anything off of Turn Off the Bright Lights. Yeah. Like anything that's been re-rated recently. Oh, totally. Yeah. It like the pitchfork people will know, but Yeah, but they're going back on their word right now. They just had a whole thing on like we were wrong. Uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily. The review was I was 14 when this came out and now I don't understand. It. Was that it? That was that was Oh, the... Turn on the Bright Lights. I just saw, no, I just saw an article where they're like, well, we would have rated these 10 albums, you know, had we been yeah. woker. Yes, that's the same one. Did thanks, it, guys. I got like in shit. It didn't. I go, saw it. Yeah, that was, thanks. I shouldn't have said the word autist. That was my, that was my bad. But <laughs> did you see the guy's reply before he deleted it? I saw the first one. Because was this one of the writers who was tweeting no. at you? No, he, he was just quote tweeting it and saying, isn't this great that Liz and PJ like got re-rated? And I was like, yeah, like, of course, obviously, if a woman is liking this, she agrees with that take. Like, and so I quoted it saying that, like, imagine there's like a pitchfork autist who gets like secretly just wants the Wilco Sky Blue Sky album to get re-rated. And so he's like pitches it in the veil of this, like, we'll give PJ and Liz some more points. Um, and he, within 30 seconds, wrote back, like, I don't write for Pitchfork. Fuck you. Where, like, why are you? Oh, like... <laughs> and then deleted it, but he thought I was calling him autistic. Like, how am I supposed to know that you love Sky Blue Sky so much? Which also was so funny. Because um, obviously he just, he did really like that album. Which I, you know, it's a good album. But uh, <laughs> he deleted it. I And then I apologized. It, it was fine. <laughs> I have never heard of Wilco, so I'm out of the loop here. They have an album called Star Wars, and it's got a cat on the front. You could tell me anything. I'd believe you. Uh, right here, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a share screen. So many. It's so pathetic when, like, like how long ago did that album come out? Uh, I was on a plane, I think, when I was listening to it. So 2016. That's such a weird way to remember something, by the way. Totally. I feel like if you're... If you're over 40, you're not allowed to make a like something that relates to Star Wars or comic books. But then, I mean, I don't know. Who am I to deny? Like, I would support any of my friends doing that right now if they wanted to make a Star Wars album. But uh, I don't know. Damn, you heard it here. Star Wars is for the kids. Pitchfork gave it 7.7. .7. Yeah, Kel Supreme's. <sighs> Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about these pitchfork guys, these youngins. No, they're not young. Like, they're all like 48. <laughs> these kids better stay off my lawn. Yeah, the NIMBYs. You teeny boppers. Back to you, Robin. <laughs> I had another question. More questions about Tonto. It's interesting. I feel like there's something in the water right now where uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of appreciation for 70s Brazilian music, which totally makes sense to me because it's like one of my favorite kinds of music out there in general. And it's just some of the greatest music there is. But like between this Brazil track, which you said is kind of at your take on Tropicalia. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then Bad, Bad, Not Good got Artur Verakai, the legend, 
all over their new album. And I mean, then I haven't heard that yet. Is it so sick? It's true. Yeah, he does. He does string arrangements. He's 76. He it's great. Like he's featured on half the album. It's clearly like they sought him out. That rocks. Yeah. And then, and then here I am kind of throwing in some George Ben chords into everything I wrote this past month. It's just happened. <laughs> so it's yeah. So I just wanted wanted to ask, like, what is that era of Brazilian music mean to you? You dedicated a track to it. Uh, I had a friend at this BAMF residency who in 2018, who was like 21 years old, um, unbelievable singer named Luisa. And she, everyone the first night was like, I just want to finish up like these songs that I feel really insecure about. And to this room of strangers, she's like, I've, I'm making a visual album about my abortion. And I went to her Instagram and it was like, she'll post photos of like her bloody menstrual pads and stuff. And it's just like, what? Holy shit. But, but then I have these paragraphs where it's like, why am I not allowed to do this? Like I should be allowed to talk about these things. And like, and just being like, wow, like this, she's not trying to be like Gigi Allen. She just really doesn't give a shit if that like, and her style of music uh, is very similar to Gilberto Gil, um, which got me into, it was like directly how I got into that line of music. And then her music's very fun and the melodies and chord progressions are really beautiful. Um, and it plays a lot with the, you know, when you can't tell what key a song is in and it like, seems like it's in a sharp but it's a flat like if you were to notate it like your brain yeah, kind of yeah. goes all over the place i love that in when i'm writing songs so and i associate that with the tropicalia style um that i guess itself borrows from jazz but puts into more of like a minimal it would be like if like bob dylan took the like the modal elements of like mo elements of modal jazz and put them back into singer songwriter music that was political. That's yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was a, it's a literally a stew. Mm -hmm. Like it sounds like a stew sometimes, and it's referred to as a stew because there's all the African influences coming out, plus American jazz that they were listening to. Yeah, James Brown's funk. Uh, yeah, it it, it 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 like it digests a lot of influences into something that's so itself right now. There's this band from I think Zambia from the seventies called Witch that Love them. You do you know this Hell band? Yeah, yeah, Hell yeah. yeah. That they got like Jimi Hendrix records really late and it's them trying to like it but it's so cool what they did. Yeah, I found during the pandemic it was kind of the only music that chilled me out. I uh, was listening to a lot of Brazilian singers i have a my friend palma has a really good playlist that um and my my buddy miguel as well um have both produced separately very good brazilian music playlists that instantly all feel calm down that's sick it's interesting how a lot of people it definitely puts a lot of people in a very like relaxed or kind of accepting headspace and I wonder, yeah, a lot of the a lot of those songs are so lulling, and at the same time, those were the most like fiery political songs lyrically. Totally. At the same time, because it was protest music so much of the time, or like really passionate 
love music. So. Oh, and the rhythms are sick too. Like I, I'll never be able to play really cool rhythms, but. It... I mean, Tom, well, that, that track really goes there, which, and for me, like the, the part, the Brazilian influence that I'm hearing there, the Tropical influence is like this continuously evolving motion in the melody where it's like, yeah, where is this gonna even end? It just keeps, you know, kind of just snakes along. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I get out of it. Like George Ben's vocal lines, like he's just pushing the sentence as far as he can go. I'm sure there's something to it, like, you know, from actually knowing the language and understanding mm -hmm. the, the me mechanism behind that. But for me, without, you know, without that background, it's just like he's, it's like you, you know, you just like momentum keep going that's what it is for me it's it's good to hear it's funny that ties back to like not wanting to listen to cringe lyrics about toronto but like if it's it could be the cringiest political lyrics in another language and it might be so sick <laughs> um, i do wonder about that i'm sure i'm sure it's a little i'm sure it's not that cringe <laughs> Mm -hmm. but, yeah, but yeah, I know it's not it that. It could, cringe. it could, it could be, it could be what I think. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have a the highest opinion of Bob Dylan, and yeah, <laughs> it could be, it could be Bob, it could be Bob for all I care. And if it sounds like that, I it. like, I got to be secretive about it. But my buddy and I said like we're gonna sit down and watch that Rolling Thunder review. Like we're it's like ten hours or something. It's on Netflix. The Scorsese thing he made about. Bob Dylan but we're like yeah. we have to just watch it <laughs> and so we can know if he's like I've never been able to get into him either but it uh and this will be the test he's supposed to be the guy for lyrics even though I don't yeah that's what people say keep hearing about this Robert guy this I know Superman. This new kid on the block. But I think it's because he's really good at being hyper-specific, but also seeming completely ambiguous. I think, yeah. Uh, you know, there. I mean, also, you know, a lot of people talk about his surrealist qualities, <laughs> which is like, and it's, uh, for me, you know, and I, I can say this lovingly, that it's like a lot of like justifying nonsense. And it's just, or intellectual, mm -hmm. over-intellectualizing nonsense. I feel like even he would agree, wouldn't you, Bobby? I know. It wouldn't would, you, Bobby? Exactly. It would be a Bob Dylan move for him to agree that what he's doing is... It ain't all that deep sometimes. I got really into this band Prefab Sprout over the pandemic. And uh, are you familiar with it? It's like British New Wave. Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. They're really breezy. Yeah, and like... But Tom, also proggy. Totally. And like theatrical pop or something. But there's this thing tim's twitter listening parties where they they get these old 80s and like you know two present day acts to live tweet the album everyone listens at the same time but the band is saying like just studio stories and stuff and the singer from prefab sprout never tweets he's a really good lyricist too and tweeted for this this one album where he came on and was like i'm on my brother's account his brother plays bass and he's like uh this album was my like conception. What if Elvis had gone into hiding and come back instead of like fat Elvis that died, like had come back this sort of cyborg crazy, like had a, it's called the album's called Jordan, the comeback. And it's all like this imaginary Elvis character. And, and then he was like, since then I've seen his, my projection that I invented in like Blade Runner movies and all over the plate, like just started going a bit like crazy and then was like all right everyone i'm logging off 
like goodbye. And I was like, that's cool. Like it, it's cool to be like fucking nuts in an album concept and not like not basically ever telling anyone. And then if you start to tell people, be like, okay, never mind. Like, I don't want anyone to know that this like I I predicted this crazy Elvis holographic persona. Yeah, those guys were on some prefab sprout. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of weird ways they come back recently. Yeah. In recent times, recent references to them. It's also really cool to just tweet once in your life and never again and have it be a whole info dump. Totally. Cool. Yeah, because that's the goal, <laughs> is if we didn't have to be on Twitter promoting ourselves, we could just be like, have as many crazy ideas as we wanted, like, and wouldn't have to, you know, it wouldn't matter. I interrupted you, Danny, sorry. Oh, no, that's all right. I, he I was just, just saying I, he has no frame of reference. That's all right. You got to check out the Fab. You got to get down with the Fab, man. The Fab is by... Uh, Prefab one? Sprout, just uh, Sprout. Oh, okay. We got to Sprout uh, Pill You. Steve McQueen <laughs> is the album to get. Uh, by then okay steve mcqueen co-signed that notion all right that's all the dead errors we're gonna have is just me writing that down and i'll just tweet some wacky bullshit at you when i listen to it Vic, is there anything else you were you wanted to bring up no you know i think we pretty much covered the range of robin's career and the bright future you got ahead of you we wish you luck we wish you fortune we wish you success. Come riding for you in your next Twitter fights. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I need to. I'll hear all about it later. I'm not on there. It's you're so much better off. But whatever. I don't know. I don't I know. Do. What... I... Finish your thought. Finish your thought. It's a safe space. No, I don't know if I'd be. I'm much more productive every day that I'm not on there. But I okay. can't deny that being on there as much as I've been has helped me like I wouldn't have made any of the connections that I've made. My buddy who spent every day of the pandemic doing music for 12 hours is really good at music now. But I got more followers. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Done. Thanks so much, Robin. This is really cool. And I've, I've been really excited for this interview. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you, too. Thank yeah, you. And hopefully run into... Well, let's uh, come say hi at the, uh, the Toronto gig. That would be awesome. Will do. Nice to meet you, Danny. Victor, take it easy. Take care. Bye. Take it easy.